0: And get your Bibles, we're going to be opening, if you will, to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Brother Carpenter and I had collaborated on what he was choosing this morning to read. We could not have made it better intertwined, and so that's a tremendous thing. I appreciate that. I'm excited about him doing that, and he's excited about it. Titus, chapter 3 enjoy that that's always been uh one of, the, one of the top highlight songs for me i like that one i, I sing that sometimes when i'm by myself and uh, enjoy it <clears throat> good song good testimony i first heard that like when i first got saved the little church i got saved in. You know, pal peak sang it and he was happy in the lord pal's expression never changed he's happy he amen he just looked at you like this when he sang, he just looked at you like this. He could sing, like, he just looked at you like this. And the day he got saved, he just looked like this. In fact, uh, Brother Jeff, my pastor, said, guy in nerdy. He said, pal, do you know you need to be saved? Yes, sir. Pal, you want to accept Jesus? Yes, sir. I said, pray, accept the Lord. Lord, I know I need you. And he prayed. And then he says, looked up, pal, were you serious? Yes, sir, I was. And that's all I ever was. You say, I wonder if he was serious. Well, my wife and I saw him about three or four years ago. That, that was back in 1980. And back, saw him three or four years ago to Walmart uh, over in uh, Eaton, Ohio. And he's still serving the Lord and active following God. So I reckon he may not have got excited, but as they say down home, it took. Amen. And uh, so that's a good thing. And uh, I love it. I, I really do. Titus chapter 3. And I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of the role of works in the Christian's life the role of works in the Christian's life. We're going to look at two different verses in this chapter. The first one being verse 8. Look at that, please. It says, This is a faithful saying, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Of course, that means the preacher is supposed to repeat this. There are several commands like that in the Bible and that where God's people are supposed to be instructed multiple times in the same area. This is a faithful saying, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. For these things are good and profitable to men. It goes down by contrast, tells us what to avoid that are not a part of good works. But look down, if you will, to verse 14. It says, "...and let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful." And so it is good and profitable unto men that we maintain good works. And maintaining good works keeps us where we will not be unfruitful or unprofitable for the Lord. And uh, so I want to talk to you on on the subject of the role of works in a Christian's life. Father, help me to do that clearly today. Uh, Lord, I don't ask for eloquence, but I would like to speak clearly your word. And that I need your help on. May my mind be I'll focus just entirely on what Your message is for Your people this morning. May all the thoughts and cares of the previous week and the anticipated burdens of the coming week, Lord, may they, they be as nothing, but may my mind be fit, focused and, and fixed upon Your Word so I can be helpful to Your people. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. When we speak of works, we use that term in church a lot, when we speak of works, what we're speaking of is a person's actions and their deeds... Uh, what they do, what their habits are, okay? If Hunter, if I was talking to you and I was talking about your works, I'd be talking about what you do during the week, how you act, how you respond in certain situations. Those are your works. What do you do with your life? Uh, that's what we're talking about. It's your, your everyday living. It's the way you behave yourself in, in all different situations. And um, of course, you hear the term works uh, quite a bit. You're in a Baptist church, you uh, a biblical Baptist church. You're you're warned and, and not to trust your own works for your salvation. And we say these things. They're good things. They're right things. They're biblical. Uh, but sometimes they, a little explanation is helpful with it because the terminology is not always known. What are we talking about here? Some people, of course, uh, not, not understanding things, uh, think that somehow you know there's something wrong with good works or that somehow they're not important. And that wouldn't be accurate at all. There is a role that good works play in your life if you're a Christian, and uh, that's supposed to play in each of our lives here. I hope you know Christ. I hope that's real with you. Hope Christian is not a term that you have attached to your life just because you go to church some, or because you were raised in America, or because you were brought up in a certain family. I hope that with your life, it's what it's like in the Bible. It's a good term in the Bible. And it is uh, the word Christian, was the way that the believers were identified by others. It's not how they identified themselves at that point. Now we say it because we want to be identified with a certain way of belief and that sort of thing. But then it was, uh, it was being identified because their life was like the life of Christ. Their, their spirit was like the spirit of Christ. They, they were representing him well. So they were Christians, people who were like Christ with that. And so we're talking about works. Um, vital role of works and understand what it means in our, our Christian life and uh, as well as what the blessings and opportunities are of it, we first have to understand what the Bible clearly and constantly teaches that works cannot be. Now please catch this and catch the detail of it. Our works cannot be the means or any part of the means of our eternal salvation. Works in no way can be the means of our eternal salvation. And they can't be a part of it. It's not you do your part, God does his part, and you're saved. No, that's not biblical salvation. Um, your works, my works cannot be a part of the equation when it comes to eternal salvation. Um, however, it's interesting to know the word salvation in the Bible does not always deal with the eternal. You know, sometimes we talk about being saved from your enemy, saved from the situation, that sort of thing. Um, you know, if uh, I had a cousin, I was on a whitewater rafting trip when I was an older teenager, and a uh, cousin of mine caught me by the ankle and pulled me back in the boat. We'd hit a, we'd hit a, uh, uh, a, a, a boulder on a number five or six rated rapid. I can't remember which it was. Pillow Rock was the name of it down in Golly, West Virginia. And uh, I hit that, hit that rock, and I almost flipped out of the, uh, out of the uh, uh, raft we were in, big, big eight-man raft, I uh, almost flipped out of it backwards into, there was a whirlpool on the backside of that boulder big enough I could drop in without touching either side. I, he said, how do you know? Because I saw it from an upside down perspective. I was flipping out of the raft. My cousin Steve had been paddling was coming forward and he caught my ankle and uh, dragged me back in. I sat up said, oh, you won. He goes, you sure do. And we kept going. Um, believe me, when you're in the middle of that rated rapid, you just keep going. That's all you do with it. Now, he saved me from that, that vortex back there. And I don't know if it just sucked me under or spit me out. I don't know what would have happened, but he saved me from it. I'd rather not have experimented with that. And uh, so I could save my cousin Steve, saved me from that situation. Uh, my wife and I, we went away for a few days, went down uh, to the uh, Skyline Drive. How many of you have ever been down to Skyline Drive? It was as foggy there when we went as it was here this morning. We could see maybe 100 feet or 100 yards off of each side of the road. So Skyline Drive was just fog. That's what it looks like down there. And uh, we were down there. We were starting to pull off the parking lot. It was rainy and stuff. And my wife said, Gable! Like that, or hollered stop or something. And normally... Me being a guy, I would go, huh, like that? Yeah. But instead, I just slammed the brakes. I just got my car back from all those repairs and the front end replaced because I hit the deer. And I stopped. There was a cable with no markings on it. I didn't see it across it where you went out of this parking lot. And I, I stopped literally about that far. From the, uh, uh, from the uh, uh, cable they're hitting it. My wife saved me from being very aggravated about having decapitated my car again, you know, after all the trouble with it. So there's a lot of different things we can be saved from. By the way, our works can save us from some things we should be saved from. Your works can save you from, uh, can save you from poverty by learning to be diligent in your works and learning to learn and learning to apply yourself. Can save you from that. Your works do that. You see. I hope God will keep me out. But no, God's given you these things. They're called hands. A thing called brain. Yeah, and use that work and uh, get these things done. Um, your your works can save you from unnecessary uh, uh, unnecessary health burdens. Uh, there's some things do come in life, but uh, some things could be bypassed if we're more careful and use our works, apply what we know, learn something, take care of ourselves, it makes a big difference in life. Uh, our works can save us from a lot of things. Sometimes your, your works can save you from being dismissed from a job. Sometimes your works can save you from an ugly situation. Why? Because you end up with a good reputation and people don't believe it when somebody says something evil about you. Your works can save you from a lot of things. But your works and my works have no part in our eternal salvation. That means our standing before God. My sins being forgiven, the fact that one day I get to live with God forever. My mind's been on it this morning because 87 years ago today, a, lady, a little girl named Bonnie was born yeah, up in the house up at the end of a holler in Caney, Kentucky. Today is my mom's birthday. Forgive me. Normally, special dates don't affect me. I don't know why I don't try not to. It's just not part of my makeup usually. But I've been thinking about today. And, uh, you know, th- thank, God, thank God there's a place called glory. Yes. Amen. Now, my sister's never expressed it, and she wouldn't think so because my sister's real good. She doesn't expect everybody to look at everything like she does in life. Um, my, my sister's made several trips down to where my mom's buried. I was very involved in making sure we had the uh, we had the um, tombstone and stuff done and things are done right. I've not been down there, and that'll seem odd to some of y'all. And I'm not saying you should do it one way and that's better than another. I'm just telling you, I just haven't. You say, well, why not? Uh, none of them moms not there. She's not there, and you go to your relatives, and that's comfort to you. That's honored to you to them. Awesome. I really am for that. Trust me. I was raised that that was a normal thing in our family to do that on Decoration Day and such. But all I'm saying to you is, thank God for heaven. I'm glad it's not there. I'm glad there's a place called glory. And, but our going to heaven is not in any way. We can't get there by our works. I mean, at some point there's a reality check when we realize that everything we do has a flaw to it. It's the mark of youth and inexperience to be so cocksure about everything, how it's going to go, what you're going to do, what you're going to accomplish. You won't live a whole lot of decades where you get that stuff knocked out of you if you got any sense. And instead, you apply yourself well and you're thankful for what happens and you you make plans and you realize if those things go awry, you stay on the right principle in the right direction. That's how you live. And by the way, you're knowing that. I mean, good night. Think about whatever it is you do your main thing you do in life, whether you be a student, whether you be, you're working somewhere, you're taking care of your household or whatever, what is it you have ever done on a consistent basis that you didn't make an error at sometime or another? And I'm talking about errors where you said to yourself, what do you think you're doing? And you responded to yourself, I don't know. Hopefully the conversation stops right there. <laughs> it's not really healthy to go much further than that. I know better than that. You ever say that to yourself? Have you? Come on, get with me here. Have me, be serious. Let me see your hand. Are You're nodding at me. You ever done it? Fess up. All right, confession is good for the soul. And uh, the uh, then we are going to be responsible for our eternal salvation. And by the way, how can a sinner save himself? How can they, something that's unclean make itself clean? No. Your life, my life, We. it has no part of our... Eternal salvation. Uh, Ephesians 2 gives us a right understanding of how it fits. Let's look at that, please. Don't lose your place there in Titus, but look in Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Probably the first verse verses I'm going to read are more familiar than the last one I'm going to read. and they are vital because Ephesians 2, I'm not going to turn you to all the passages I've written down today, but Ephesians 2 shows the relationship of eternal salvation being a work of God's grace in our life. We believe on Christ. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We put our faith in Christ and that grace is is what is... is is. Uh, what cleanses us, what carries us, uh, and, and what keeps us. And, uh, and then it shows the responsibility of works that come with that. Look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, let's, let's begin verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. And that's the proper order of things. And and it it explains it there, what happens with it. Um, In Romans 10, if we were to turn there, you would find that uh, as Paul poured out his heart for his people, the Jewish people, he said that they had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, going about to establish their own righteousness, that's their works. They thought they were right because of all the ceremony they kept and such. They going about to establish their own righteousness had not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They didn't come to God God's way. And, and it, it broke his heart to think about that. In Romans chapter 11 and verses 5 and 6, mark that down and you can read about that later. It says there, if it's by grace, Romans eleven five and 6, if it's by grace, then it's no more of works. And if it's of works, then it is no more of grace. Otherwise, grace is no more grace and works is no more works. They can't both be. If I were to take one of these uh, songbooks, and uh, beautiful new songbooks we have here, and I was going to present it to somebody as, as a gift, and I said, look, here's a, here's a gift from us and from our church. We want you to have this, and we present it to somebody there. And uh, I said, here it is, and it's a gift. And they said, "Oh, that's wonderful." And I'm like, "Well, we won't, we won't tack on the shipping because that'd be too hard to figure how much shipping on 150 books." But uh, it's 14.99, 14.99, 14.99, and then another book. It's not a gift, is it? No. So it's if it's by grace, then it's no more of works, and if it's of works, then it's no more of grace. They, it can't be both. And it can't be a mixture of the two. Either what Christ did on the cross was absolutely essential. And I mean by that absolutely essential. No other alternative. And it was effective. It did what He came to do. Or it really is just a big show because if our works can get us to the Lord, then everything He suffered is of no use. Why? We could just do it on our own. And so... Your works, my works, are not the means of, neither are they any part of the means of eternal salvation. Now, it's important to understand. With that established, I want, I want to, to give you some of the things that works are. That's the message, what, the role of works. Why are they important? Number one, they're vital as evidence. They're vital as evidence, both to ourselves and to other people. They, they, they're evidence of what God's done inside. Uh, James chapter 2 I baptized a good number of you in this room, and and uh, I've said often to people when I'm baptized, I'm saying, "Now this is an outward way. It's biblical. It's, it's it's commanded in the Bible to do this, and it's an outward way of showing what's happened inside." So I talk to a person. I say, "You've believed on Christ your Savior." Yes, I have. You believe He died, was buried, and rose again for you. Yes, I do. Well, what this is is baptism. People can't see inside you. They can't see what you said you believe. And this is a very first thing that God gave us to do, that in this act in what we do in this act of obedience as a saved person, you are taken by another, you, you trust yourself to another, and you are taken under the water, symbolizing the death and burial of Christ, and then you're brought back up out of that water, representing the new life in Christ, and we're supposed to walk from that point forward, Following Christ. So it's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. It's evidence. It's you saying by something you're submitting to, I want people to know what I believe. It's an unnatural thing to let somebody else take you and dunk you backwards in water. It's a scary thing for many people. It's a humbling thing. You're up here and you're all wet in front of everybody. But what it is, it's saying, I want to be identified. In our crazy town that we have here, you don't have to wonder when it's game day. Everywhere you can go, it's scarlet and gray. I mean, everywhere. You go in every restaurant you go into, they're dressed up for it. They've got things going. It's it's a mania. Why? They're saying, we want to be identified with OSU right up until Michigan beats them. And they want to... They say, we want to be identified. It's your birthday. You Matt. say, man, enjoy that. I mean, you might as well enjoy it. Um, But they say, hey, that's our team. That's our people. This is what we're associated with. Uh, Baptism is the first step of a believer saying, I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of that in front of the whole world. And so what happens with that then, there's more evidence that comes with it. Are you in James? And uh, look there. I am, oddly enough. And look in James chapter 2. Verse 17, and uh, you can study all through there later with that and see how it all fits in. It says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So real faith produces works. That's what we read in Ephesians. For by grace are you saved. And then that grace, that real grace, produces something in your life. So works are an evidence that God's actually moved into your life. There's an evidence there. Uh, Have you ever seen a house that sat empty for a while? You ever seen it? And then somebody buys it and you say, oh, somebody's moving in there and you'll see some changes and things. I've seen some places that were kind of run down and somebody new apparently bought it and it gets cleaned up and the yard gets cared for. Maybe a, a paint put on or a new siding, a new roof. And you say, oh, somebody new must have moved in. You ever seen that? Or maybe a restaurant or something. Oh, they have new management. Things are different. It's run different. When God moves in, things are supposed to be new. We're supposed to be changed by that. Here's evidence with it. Verse 18 says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And that's, that's the role of works in a Christian life. It's supposed to be evidence of what goes on inside of us. When, when, when you attend the Lord's house, you're evidencing that God's important to you that He plays a role in your life, that you're setting aside time. You're giving evidence to everyone in your church when you come. You're giving evidence to those you live near when they see you on a regular basis going to church. You give evidence. Why? Right? The evidence that the Lord's working. All these things. They're vital as evidence. When you ha- when you hand somebody a gospel tract, it's evidence that you're-, you're wanting to do something for the Lord. Uh, when you put your tithe in the offering plate, it's evidence that you want to be a part of God's work and you recognize that in your life. You evidence... Why? How do you do it? By your works. Um, anybody who's done much witnessing has run into people say, well, I just believe you ought to be in God's house. When's the last time you went? Oh, yeah, it's been. And then sometimes it'll be years. Well, I just believe you. And, and you'll hear all kinds of things that people will firmly believe, but they're not doing it. Uh, that's not much faith. Because real faith leads to real works. And then, uh, of course, we read in Ephesians 2.10, I ask you the same question I asked myself when I was outlining this. In what ways does your life display evidence that you are a child of God? Not do you ever tell somebody that, in what ways does your life display it? I found it to be a convicting question. Then there, the works not only are vital as evidence, but they're vital as example. Um, it's interesting, in, in 1 Timothy, look there if you will, right near where we were reading before, 1 Timothy 4, they're, they're good for an example. We need examples as people. Many of you in this room, you, you learn a lot better by working along with something, watching it happen, rather than just receiving instruction on it. Uh, that's, that's very common for that to be a strong way for people to learn. Why? We can see what's happening. See what's going on. I was watching Daniel this morning. I was I know he's going to be playing along with you this morning. I'm glad he did. He was just watching Dad. Daniel didn't know anybody else was in this room. He was watching you. When to start, when to stop, what to do. Trying to get his, his fingers right on all that. And, and I like that. You'd be an example. And that's exactly the way, our, the, the, the way that our faith is supposed to be. Look in verse 12 of First uh, Timothy 4. It says, Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers. Then it tells us where we can be example. In word. How's our, how's our words? How's our words? In conversation. That's your general overall manner of life. Your daily interactions. In charity, in purity, or excuse me, in spirit, in faith. Impurity. By the way, that spirit's your spirit. What's your spirit like? What we call attitude is the surfacing of a, a spirit. It can be a good attitude. It can be a nonchalant attitude. It can be a poor attitude, but that's our spirit making a showing of itself. What kind of example do we set? I said, Well, I don't want to be anybody's example. You are, for good or for bad, you don't get a choice in that. Not a choice. You are an example. You may not set yourself up as such, but you, you, you're an example to somebody. somewhere. Let's be an example for the Lord like we ought to be. It's vital as evidence. It's vital for example. Um, it's pretty amazing. Of course, Matthew 5.16, we have this back here. The ultimate ex, uh, showing of an example by works is what Christ Himself said. Let your light, let your light. Jesus didn't say, let my light. We sing, it's, it's very accurate. It's a children's song. With it. David, I know you help in junior church with the you're the tea in the stack here. The little song they sing, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. That's accurate. This little light of mine. Jesus told them that as long as he was in the world, he was the light of the world, but he told them he would be leaving. They would become the light of the world. And he said, Let your light so shine. Let your light so shine before men. Not showing off, but evident because it's there. Evident because it's real. Let your light so shine before men that they, those men, may see your good works. And what's the end result of them seeing your good works? That they may glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And so our works are not the means nor any part of the means of our everlasting salvation, but they're vital as evidence and they're vital as example. Here's how a Christian is supposed to live. interesting. Uh, very small small part of the conversation we had yesterday, and there was a specific reason for it. It wasn't just loose talk. Their brother Terrell was dying. They were talking about something and, and, uh, that they had encountered. And Brother Terrell made this statement because there had been two or three women who were up in years who had kind of led the charge Against the preacher and against his wife, and just really causing a ruckus. And Brother Terrell's only statement on it, he says, he says, You know, he says, when they're supposed to be aged women and teaching the younger women how to live godly, instead, they're teaching them by their example to be opposite, boisterous, cat. God wants us to set a right example. That's our works. What do you set with your works? huh? What, how do you do? How does it show up? Huh. Jesus underscores the most compelling reason to be examples. Then they're vital for empowerment. Works of obedience empower us to be best benefited by the fullness of God's Word. Look in Hebrews chapter 5. Show you this. They empower you to have the Word of God work in you fully. Do you know that buying workout equipment doesn't get you in shape? How many know that. The Great American Junk Swap knows yard sales. Well, not many years ago, the thing you saw at every American Great American Junk Swap. See, I like yard sales, that's fine. I enjoy them. You make my some good stuff in Getting harder though, isn't it? With people with the internet, they know what stuff's worth. And they're right. It's hard to find people who don't realize they have something that you can get off of them way too cheap. Uh, but one of the, one thing you always saw at a yard sale some years ago was a stationary bicycle. Maybe you ever seen this for sale. Now I'm to go back a ways. This is just fun for a sporting over crowd. How about the vibrating belt that you put around you internet. Why older folks are laughing. Because man, that was that would just take the fat right off of you. And they said well, what did it did it. and jiggled the fat cells off of you. That's what they got. You young folks that have ever seen those? Have seen those. Are they still around? Oh Farm's seriously? Fine. Farm? in the basement. Yours in the basement. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing they will do for you. I'll tell you this by evidence. They make you itch. Uh, Wherever that thing is. Mini trams. Home gyms. Things for pull ups in the doorway. Buy them and keep them enough years where you'll pull the doorway down when you try to do it. Um, uh, Do you know that uh, the Word of God is very effective when people actually live it? As long as it's a theoretical book, it's a nice book, it's a book you have great reverence for, but you never put it into your daily actions. It's not doing you any good. I can't say not doing you any good because it's powerful enough that would be an overstatement, but really minimal. It would be more effective to say, you know, there are things that health-wise, if you eat them, if you do certain things, they can help you, but they need to be combined with exercise and stuff. In other words, no neat little pill that just makes you all healthy if you just take it or supplement if you just drink it, it makes you completely healthy. Well, you continue a sedentary lifestyle and and put everything else in your body. He said, of course, preacher. Now, this really is the 14 over crowd because it got rid of it. How many remember the diet pills that had tapeworms in them? Remember this? Yeah, that was the thing. The eggs were fun, huh? Guaranteed to fix things. Uh, but wait a minute. That makes sense to us, doesn't it? Do you know one of the things our works are for is to make the Word of God effective in our life? I take vitamin D. I do it regularly anyway. It's especially a good idea to do that uh, during the season and around Ohio when it's so dark. Hey, Hunter, wake up. Set up. set up. Sit up. Sit up like a young man there, buddy. Thank you. Um, the when it's dark so long here in Ohio because your body's not processing D3 and then you work inside a lot. It's a good idea. d is grow important. The vitamin D's are important for your health. And so I was taking it at vitamin D3 and then my wife, she got some new stuff and she's always the, the purchaser thereof. And it had another thing attached. I can't remember what it is right now. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute, that's different. You know, I'm, I'm locked into something I don't want to change around on me. I said, what's with this? And uh, she goes, she was explaining what the other part was, and so I checked it out. And she says, that helps you absorb these things. It helps it process into your body better. How many of you know there are, there are supplements like that? One thing helps the other. And uh, I checked it out. Sure enough, she wasn't trying to kill me off earlier or anything. It was, it was good. And, uh, and, and so the, she wasn't re- trying to restore my youth. But what happens is that taking the D is fine, but this with it helps it work a little better. Uh, there are ser- several things like that. The Word of God is very powerful the power of the Word of God's not in, not in question. So then why do so many Christians have powerless lives and they go on like they are? Because they go on like they are. We don't come to the Bible looking to amend our actions. We look at it like it's theoretical or like God's, the author of this book is God and, and like He's just given us suggestions for a better life. That's how that works. Look, if you will, at the passage here. I've got you. Where do I have you now? In Hebrews 5. You know, Hebrews 5. Look in verse 11. It's been talking about Melchizedek. I'll not go into all that. It's a great teaching uh, about him, and it points to Jesus being our high priest. And then verse 11, referring back to these teachings on Melchizedek, it says, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard. To be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing, he was saying, "There's a lot we can teach you right now. We can't teach you because you can't hear it. You don't know what it is. You're not ready for it. You're a dull of hearing. For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, there's where you should be in your spiritual life." You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Oracles of God is just referring to the word of God, the written word of God in that instance there. You again, the first principles of the oracles of God. He said you should be teachers and you should be able to receive this strong teaching I'm giving you. But right now you have become like you're starting at the beginning again. And have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Look at the explanation on how to go forward. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those... Look at that phrase very carefully. Who by reason of what? What is the word? Use. Use. Who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so, when I say that the works are for empowerment, they're for the empowerment of us. To receive what we should from the Word of God. I love watching people as they develop with the Bible. As they grow. And they'll say, man, the Lord just showed me something. And I saw something. And I didn't realize this before. But God's working on me in this area. I love watching that. To me as a pastor, that's payday for me. That's 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 what I live for. And sometimes those things are precipitated by trials people go through. They They, they see things and there's an urgency in their life that hadn't been there before. And sometimes it's just they had decided to put into play something they learned. They took something they learned from the Word of God and they put it into action. And then, lo and behold, no surprise if we believe the Bible, all of a sudden they saw something else. They said, well, I'll do that too. And then they see something else. Oh, yeah, look at that. And what ends up happening is this Bible becomes a brand new work. A brand new word and brand new book to them. This very past week, I spoke with individuals, both that were like, oh, okay, about the Bible. That's right. Okay. And persons who were like, oh, my goodness. Man, there's good stuff in there. Oh, my goodness. This this helped me in this area. I don't know all the ingredients that go into that, and I try not to paint with too broad of a brush, but I will tell you for sure, based on the Word of God, That doing what we learn and looking at the Bible not as a theoretical exercise and some kind of, you know, so we have some kind of theological stance, but saying, okay, how do I live? What does it say about my relationships? What does it say about my integrity? What does it say about my response to things? What does it say about my relationship with this current world? What does it say about holiness? What does it say about purity? What does it say about cleanliness? What does it say about godliness? And I look to do what it says. I am telling you, it opens up. It becomes a completely different book than just another book you're reading. And you know if I'm going to be spiritual, I need to read this much. And the church is having a reading program, so I'm trying to do this much. No! It becomes something vital in living. Why? Because you put Jesus. The same reason. The exact same reason. I know it's in a different realm, but it's the same principle. Why just buying work on equipment doesn't make you any change? You have to do something with it. i mean, I've gotten haunted by a passage here for the last two weeks. I think it's Ezekiel. Forgive me if I'm off on that. I didn't read it and, and write it all down. You know, I wasn't preparing something with it. I'm just reading. But but it kind of caught me as as a preacher. The uh, I, I believe it was Ezekiel. Maybe it, uh, maybe in Jeremiah. but I think it was. And it said at one point that the children of Israel had become towards him in his preaching when he was trying to warn them, trying to tell them about God's coming judgment what was going on. It said that the prophet had become like a pleasant song to the people. They liked to hear him. They liked the way he said things. They had no intention of ever doing what they were going to call them. Then when the judgment came, to the Bible is not a theoretical book. Do you know when I read the passage? Or when I read the passage: "Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church." That's not just a good idea; it's something I can quote. A verse I know. That's how I am supposed to treat Mrs. Manny. And any time I don't treat her that way, it should convict me. And it should compel me to learn how to treat her that way. Because that's not a theoretical passage. That's how I am supposed to treat my wife of 36 years When I read a passage as your pastor, preach the word. That's not theoretical. That's both the fullness and limitation of what I'm supposed to preach to you. Be instant, in season, out of season, whether I feel like it or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. With all long suffering. Not supposed to give up on it and not supposed to wear out if I have to repeat things. And doctrine. Show you the good and the right way. That's not theoretical. It's not just something for me to quote. Here's a great preaching passage. That's for living. When it says, Go you therefore. I'm supposed to go. When Christ said, Be a witness unto me. I'm supposed to be a witness unto Him. It's not theoretical. And the role of works in the Christian life, it's, You have the role of evidence. It's evidence of who's living in you. It's evidence of what's going on. It's example, Others following and then it's empowerment. It makes a difference in your life. Many do not see the Word of God making much of a difference in their lives because they're indifferent to the Word of God in their living. And we'll close with the exhortation. One of the first two verses we read. This is a faithful saying. And these things that I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. What's that tell you about them? They'll break down on you, won't they? It's easy to get slack, isn't it? It means we have to go back. Maintenance. Your Christian life needs maintenance. My Christian life needs maintenance. That we would be careful to maintain good works. Why? For these things are good... These things, rather, are good and profitable unto men. The role of works in the Christian life is vital. And I don't want us ever, as as Bible-believing Baptist people, I don't want us ever to so shy away from works being preached and taught as part or means of eternal salvation. I don't want us to so shy away from that that we undervalue what works is supposed to be accomplishing in our day-by-day living. May our works be rooted in the Word of God. May they be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And may the purpose of them be to glorify God. To do that, to find out the more you do, the the smallest step forward will help you with the very next step forward, which will help you to walk in the fullness of God. But we have to put it into our living. Let me pray with you, please. Father, thank you for your words. I appreciate them a lot. And uh, Lord, I pray You'll help us to live with people who are very uh, submitted to Your Word. God, may we do that. And may You be honored because of it. Help us to live and evidence your, li- your life in us this week. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. We have a song invitation. You need to come this morning. Is there evidence in your